0: In these days of global politics and uncertainty it's heartening to ponder that very few of us have a firm grip on reality. They say that history is written by the victors. Well, I've no idea who they are, and I'm yet to meet an historian called Victor. But then, I don't move in those sort of circles. Makes me dizzy, for one thing. Now, this of course opens up a whole can of wriggling metaphors. History has many authors, some good, some simply appalling. I'll let you decide which camp I fall into, as we take a trip back to the 4th of March, 1882, when the first electric trams began running in the UK. Oh, and welcome to Twistery Tales!
1: Oi! What are you doing? You can't hang about that there. This tram has to reverse soon. I'm... I'm waiting for the dung, mate. What dung? From the horse, mate. There ain't no horse. This tram is powered by electricity. Now, scram. No horse? That ain't natural, that ain't. Well, let me, let me just. Uh, let me just give these here windows a quick wipe. I told you. skidaddle! You're not needed. So, what do I do now, mate? No horse muck. No cleaning. I'm redundant, mate. How do I make a shilling? Not my problem, is it? If you want horse manure, try Westminster. The horse guards, maybe Parliament. How about I just give that uh, that pole thing a quick dusting with my chimney-sweeping brush? I can reach it. Oh, yeah. oh. Besides, wrong kind of manure at Parliament. All they got there is bullshit! Oh.
2: Oh, that woke me up. Twistery Tales, the Richard Usher comedy podcast. The past rewritten before
0: your very ears. East London 136 years ago. A little glimpse of how life might have been when those first electric trams began to trundle their way around Leytonstone. And, after over a century of progress, it would still be quicker to walk. That is a very cynical point of view, my friend. Ah, well, as the streetwise Essex Bards, Albarn, Coxon, James and Roundtree wrote,
3: I'm a professional cynic, but my heart's not in it. Well, neither a quoter nor a lazy writer be, for, quote, oft loses both itself, And audience. And if wit were, you'd be constipated. Uh, Will Shakespeare, Bard of Stratford.
0: Is that your good self? A pleasure to make your acquaintance. I've often wanted to ask you, why were you Bard from Stratford? I shall ignore that obvious
3: attempt to win over your listener. Listener? Singular? You cut me to the quick. Aye, tis true, tis pity. And pity tis, tis true. Well, how would you go about winning over a bigger audience? Fill the globe, you mean? Well, you have to come up with something with a bit of romance, a lot of drama and some decent comedy. You can see where you're going wrong, can't
0: you? I usually look through my twisty Tales books for a bit of inspiration. Well, that's a start. For example, I happen to know that the real Romeo and Juliet were married on the 11th of March in 1302. Oh, hmm. you mean Romeo and Juliet? Tragic toilet. Tragic? But where did you get the idea from? I mean, how did you do your research all those centuries ago? I'll bend Motherby's dirty book emporium. Boldy bolded, Master
3: Shakespeare. That's why heart good to see one of our regular customers on a day such as this. How's he taking Mr Motherby? Hostules still giving you gib gy- They never rest, Master Shakespeare. Once they pop, they cannot stop.
0: Oh, there goes one now.
3: Righto. I just wanted to return that uh, last volume you sold me, Mother Um, thought I'd tried it in for something with a bit more romance. Perchance a little less bestiality. Ah, oh,
0: Lady Chatterley's plover. Well, I did warn you, Master, I did say it was a little right. <laughs> now, romance, 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 um, How about a nice old volume of ancient Sumerian poetry? Oh, is it a tale of love and tragedy? Romance against great odds? No, it's about the erotic misadventures of the goddess Inanna and her consort Damizid the Shepherd, as told from the point of view of the palace butler.
3: Oh, I couldn't put it down. I need something that might entertain a mixed audience. Something for all ages. Sounds
0: utterly boring. Oh. Well, how about Master Brook's The Tragical History of Romeo and Juliet? A few stabbings, some fights, bit of poisoning, star crossed lovers, no ratting. Hardly worth the parts from this written on. <laughs> To you, gratis. I'll be glad to get shut of the thing, been in my remainder bin for weeks.
3: I was going to use it to rest my posterior bubo's on. Oh, well, it was a rare old find, that book. Inspiration shone from the very first page. There is, beyond the Alps, a town of ancient fame, whose bright renown yet shineth clear. Verona men it name. Built in a happy time, built on a fertile soil, maintained by the heavenly fates and by the townish toil. I began to write Romeo and Juliet in 1594. At first, on the walls of various privies, but eventually I managed to obtain some parchment. Good job too. Can you imagine how long rehearsals would have taken if we'd had to go from privy to privy? And they're not big, those privies. You can't fit the whole company of actors in there. Although one or two were probably used to it, anyway, we eventually put the play on at the playhouse down as the curtain. Ah, oh, blimey, the rehearsals were a scream. <laughs> that potpen scene. Gah! where's pot Pan that he helps not to take away? He shift a trencher, he scrape a trencher. <laughs>
0: did the pensioner say to his new fuel allowance
1: increase. Now is the winter of our discontent. Oh,
3: bugger. Wrong theatre. Ah, Master Shakespeare. Yeah? What? Sir, may I just inquire? What the hell is a trencher? Well, well, it's, it's like, you know, a wooden platter that you stick meat on approaching the scene all wrong. You see, I thought a trencher was another name for something one would leave in the privy. I mean, my colleague's repost. When good manners shall lie all in one or two men's hands, and they unwashed too, tis a foul thing. Away with the joint stools. Remove the court cupboard, look to the plate. You see, Master Shakespeare, stools do you see, and foul unwashed things. Don't think about the lines, just speak them. Leave it to others to figure out their meanings. From the top... <coughs> Two households, both alike in dignity, in fair Verona, where we lay our seat. Si- no! Oh. The top of your lines, not the ruddy ply. On the whole, the rehearsals went well until we reached the balcony scene. He
1: jests at scars that never felt a wound, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks? Is it the east and Juliet is the sun? Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon who is already sick and pale with grief. That thou maid art far more fair than she. Be not her maid, since she is envious. Her vestal livery is but sick and green, and none but fools do wear it. Cast it off, it is my lady, oh, it is my love. Well, go on, get climbing. Uh, uh, sorry, Master Shakespeare, but I'm afraid of heights, and the, uh, the union
3: rep says it's a job for a stand double. A stunt what? Union rip? Since when?
2: Oh, for goodness sake. I'll catch my death up here waiting for this scene to finish.
3: What the kid, Marlowe? Who, who is deaf behind you, Juliet?
2: Our director wants to know who you are.
1: I'm the window cleaner, mate. Here every Tuesday. How
3: did he get up there? Does he have a ladder?
1: Of course I've got a ladder. <laughs> it's truth. I'm not bleeding Daydoners.
3: Do you have any acting experience?
1: Well I have done a tour of Pantless and Gretolies at Christmas.
3: Perfect! Now, do you reckon you could get into Romeo's tights?
1: Boy! Watching you burning! <laughs>
0: But it all worked out in the end, I take it. I mean,
3: it must have done. The play is a, is a true icon of the English theatre. Yeah, and I wrote the most moving piece on the very anniversary of the day that the real Romeus and Juliet got hitched. So, the 11th of March, they were
0: married in 1302, and you, you must have written your dramatisation of it in, what, March
3: 1595? Well, Crowbarding, of Course, if you'd really wanted to do that justice... You'd have put it in blank verse. Ah, here comes the lady. Oh, so light a
2: foot will ne'er wear out the everlasting flint. A lover may bestride the gossamer that idles in the wanton summer air, and yet not fall so light is vanity. Lovely. Yeah, but we are on the clock here, so if you could just cut to the chase, friar. Well, I never. How rude. Very well. Come, come with me, and we will make short work. For by your leaves you shall not stay alone till Holy Church incorporate two in one. Now, dost thou, Romeo, take the fair Juliet to be thy wife? I do. And do you, fair Juliet, taketh the noble Romeo to be thy husband? I do. Very well. I now pronounce you... Husband and wife. Juliet, you may now give your husband the poison. Here are. Drink this. Oh, Tom. <coughs> and Romeo, you may now stab the bride. Oh, Tom. Oh, ooh! <coughs> ah! Oh, kitty.
0: And lo, the sad demise of two of the fairest stars in all the heaven brings us to the end of another Twistery Tales. And don't forget, if you use any of the materials from this podcast in your exam revision, you'll be mad, but north-northwest. Adieu. You have been enduring another edition of Twistery Tales, the Richard
2: Usher one-man comedy podcast. Music, courtesy of Bensound.com. Twistery Tales is a larynx production.
3: Hey! <laughs>